we've got the article. All right, the article, Tim Pool's reporter, Shane Cashman, part one of two, genius Griff Timmy, appreciate that, on uh, Eliza Blue, Perpetual Trauma Machine, part one. And uh, a lot of people, I have not read it. Uh, my reactions are in real time. I'm not going to read the whole thing word for word because whether or not I agree or disagree with it, you know, I, I don't want to rob Shane of the traffic or Tim of the traffic. So I think, you know, that's reasonable. And I will share the actual article and not the archive because I don't suspect Timmy would be up to any weird shenanigans. On what we talk about, we talk about all sorts of things. Okay. So on January 24th, 2023, members of the Science Security Board pulled the black hood off the doomsday clock to reveal a humanity, um, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to, you know, all the exposition I'm not going to read. I was thinking about all this doom when. Eliza Blue called me on the same day those scientists pushed the hands toward the symbolic clock closer to midnight. She had been trending on Twitter. Eliza and the Doomsday Clock don't really have anything to do with each other, but they are symbol symbolically connected in my mind. The end of the world is always upon us. These days it can feel like a personal destruction is the end of the world. And the others' day is the end of the world is some distant thought that has nothing to do with us. But in that moment, she was trending on Twitter for claims of lying about being trafficked, censoring critics with the help of Elon Musk. It felt like this was a personal doomsday scenario for Eliza. Over the past few months, I had a strange opportunity to speak with people at the exact moment when they were trending on Twitter. They were trending for anything but being totally positive. Trends typically bring waves of hate and posturing ruthless criticism. This can have a positive or negative effect depending on the target. Whether I was talking to Ye or Carrie Lake or Eliza Blue, I was, it was surprising to me that despite the doom attached to their names, especially in digital spaces, each of them remained oddly hopeful. I couldn't tell if it was part was faith or part of it trying to convince themselves everything was okay or perhaps a bit of both. Now, I'm not going to talk. He goes through the history here, it looks like, about EB. I don't really care. We all know. Um, you know, Before her story was put into question, she seemed like one of the rare people on Twitter around whom various political factions could rally. It was hard to argue against what she was most vocal about, saving people from the perils of terrible things. Now, her pinned tweet still about, you know, the reminder about Twitter refusing to remove something. But by the time she was trending and the doomsday clock ticked forward, it was because people who initially championed her were now calling her out that believed her to be outright lies of her survivor story. They feared they not only she'd not only lied, but she was also profiting off other victims. If you Google her name as of today's publication, you will see many articles that were putting her life story into question from the post-millennial to unheard to Daily Beast. There's been a thread making the rounds on Twitter, probably, uh, that broke down all the inconsistencies in her timeline. The thread was so damaging, it even called into question her own age. Many users were enraged that they had helped her give her a platform, only to find out she'd seemingly made up her whole story. These accusations reminded me of Don Draper from Mad Men, a story of stolen valor. A weak soldier steals the identity of another soldier who'd actually died in battle, and it was as if she'd shed her skin, and now Twitter had finally exposed her. They pointed to a long list of aliases she's over to use. She's been Eliza Cut, Sipe knows. Her legal name is Morthland. At face value, her identity seemed like a constant mutation. This feels like a big buildup to then saying, but they were all wrong. But I'm going into this good faith. Internet sleuths found at times she had been seen on TV or in public videos or modeling campaigns, calling into question her timeline of having been um, on the receiving end of trafficking. If she's done all these shows, many Twitter users said she must have only been in it for fame. Everything seemed like a lie. The initial thread culminated in the internet scouring the internet for as much information as possible, 
to prove in fact she was a fraud. Eventually, the threat attracted those who were once extremely supportive of her for her cause. Larger accounts shared the images from the video with her bare rear and some questions regarding the validity of her story. They tagged her and wanted a response. It seemed like everyone was waiting. But the initial response was that these larger accounts were suspended. It's weird that he's going out of his way to not mention anybody, but that's okay. I don't need call from this. I really don't care. Really, it was Brittany Venti who popped it all off. Um, the narrative switched from Eliza Blue has been lying this whole time to she's using her contacts within Twitter to censor critics. Eliza says she would die on the hill of free speech, yet a move that seemed to many like it was not only clear censorship, but more of a sinister insight into how Twitter 2.0 was with Elon Helms operating the same bad faith favors for friends was Elon dishing up personal help. If she was behind the suspensions, then she was an outright hypocrite. A lot of us were worried about how sharing something in the digital public square, something that seemed publicly available, could result in a suspension or ban. The anti-establishment minded on Twitter, who had been reluctantly rejoicing as Elon acquired the platform, now having flashbacks to what Jack Dorsey felt like. Um, another digital landscape monopolized by tech elites who ruled subjectively. For the record, I don't agree with Musk's bans of people like Ye or Alex. I truly believe in amnesty. Good for you, bud. Um, no, like legitimately, unsarcastically. As soon as the bans happened, the rumors started to spread. She must have been sleeping with Elon. She was a secret shadow inside of, uh, inside of Twitter, detect, dictating terms of service. And now I was on the phone with her. I had previously planned to write a profile on Eliza, and we happened to be discussing to, a time to schedule a visit to Quad Cities. I heard the parts of the story she shared in various podcasts, and I saw an opportunity to share an in-depth understanding what happened in her life. Now that her entire story had been picked apart in the Twitter sphere, it was safe to say I had more questions than I bargained for. Eliza and I had met in person once previously, of course on Timcast, fine, put that out there. I told her on the live show that I was suspicious of the Me Too movement and that way it infiltrated and destroy accusations of merit. I believe that it was oversaturated, the culture with false accusations. I believe the same, the same horrific people were taken down by that movement and that's a positive, but there was an insidious fallout where any whiff of accusation without any due diligence could destroy a person. It was absurd to see the court of public opinion be swayed so easily by just a few accusations, zero proof. Um, so let's skip down here. I don't, you know. Uh, all right. It was the way that Eliza responded to the text. Oh, wait, sorry. I just left Ye's place in LA. He had, and I had spent the weekend discussing, among other things, the shape of his campaign for the president. One topic he kept coming back to was trafficking. Eliza's name popped in my head. So when I was at the airport, I asked for her permission to send her contact to Ye. Hmm. I'm sure she obliged. Then Ye started a group chat. It was the way that Eliza responded to the initial text from Ye that gave me pause to go full tilt into accusing her of solely, of operating solely out of fame. I still didn't know her personality at all, nor did I expect recent claims, but I think it's worth sharing this despite. Ye, Eliza got your number from Shane's, from Shane. Let's stop all this stuff on Twitter. Eliza says... Um, the actual freedom of all the people is the most important fight. No pu public stunt, by the way, and I'm not going to ask for funding or anything. I do everything on my own with my old iPhone and God. Um, I don't think that that's very convincing. That just seems like this is, you know, that's just manipulative to me. But anyway, um, you know, there it was discussed on Timcast that I would write a profile. Okay, good enough. The small collection of some of the criticism I received as I prepared the, the profile. This is a litmus test for Shane Cashman. He is a not goblin. I'm not going to read all that. Um, 
I'm going to skip down here. Okay. By the night that Eliza and I were both on IRL, I had already been in talks with Andrew Tate to write a profile on him. I'd spoken with him directly in the days leading up to the arrest, perhaps saying, oh, this guy's well-connected. Um, but after the thread about her life went viral, her timeline didn't make sense to me either. There seemed to be major gaps in her story. I'm sure I wasn't alone having this nightmarish thought experiment. On one hand, I would have preferred she was lying from the bits about her own story that she had shared. I'd rather that not happen to anyone. On the other hand, if she was lying, I'd feel personally let down. Uh, I don't believe she had a race advocacy to see her own you know, Twitter and podcasts, even if I struggle with it. But again, the current economy deals in the currency of victimhood. And we're all numb to the grift. And now we were supposedly on the edge of nuclear annihilation. I had questions, and she promised I could ask anything. It seemed like I was flying to Illinois to interrogate someone about their darkest lies or someone could have their darkest experiences to go through. My goal was to establish a timeline for her words and then cross-reference it with the timeline that featured in the thread. I th I'm not sure what thread he's talking about. Um, it's, I don't think it's mine because I never brought up her age. Um, so... Either Eliza's built an elaborate story for profit or she was telling the truth and we all got the whole thing wrong. Neither seemed to be an easy answer. My distrust points in all directions. Either she was a juicy sommelier of anti-establishment Twitter or somehow all of anti-establishment Twitter had become the juicy sommelier of victim blaming. I didn't really like the process anyway you cut it. Okay, I kind of had to stop. I had to pause there for a second because I, I, this is a very long article. Um, I, I'm still not, you know, I had to pause it and finish reading it. Cause it was just like, uh, this is going to be a 45 minute video. Here's a point. Here's, here's the only part of it, of real substance here. Okay. And it's point, it's important to point out that it's part one. So if Shane Cashin decides that he's going to now dig into whether or not these things happened in, in part two, um, that would be something. But, uh, my interpretation of this right now is it's an extremely wordy, very well-written, simple word-for-word -word regurgitation of what she wanted us to know. That's what this is. Um, and it's actually a little bit, it's really painting her in a positive light. Uh, if, if, I mean, like, it doesn't acknowledge, like, a single lie. It's just like, hey, I asked her this, and this is what she said. So she just re-platformed her to kind of uh, tell the same story, unless I'm missing something. Um you know, she showed up in her Tesla gear. It was all given to me by a friend. He worked for Tesla. Um, she was looking at her phone. The Babylon Bee had notified her that they canceled an event they had planned to do together. Uh, that's interesting. So the Babylon Bee uh, canceled. That's a nugget. It was heartbreaking. She said, I need my Christian brothers. I'm so pissed that they would cancel. She had a slightly darker tone in her voice than she had earlier when we spoke. Well, I guess I'm the guy that talks to people the rest of society rejects. In a case, that's you right now, Twitter. There was mostly small talk on the way to get food. We discussed our childhood, being homeschooled, blah, 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 blah. We took our seats at the truck stop diner. I was alerted by colleagues via text that some people had announced their father's personal address. I don't like that. I disavow that anyway, 100%. Both home and office were claiming to be on their way to film the location. I was going to be staying at our parents' house for the duration of my visit. Are you reading Twitter, I asked. Um... Everyone who's ever done it. I don't like that. I, I disavow that. Her dad has nothing to do with this as far as I could tell. And even if she is a you know a liar, there's no point in putting her address out there unless you're going to serve her legal paper, paperwork. Um, friends are telling me that silence makes everything worse right now. I don't. So it's essentially in this article, 
she just reiterates the same thing she's always said online about being groomed or whatever. It's all nebulous, and she still does not name anybody. Again, I don't buy this. I'm afraid of them. Name them so they can stop, you know, name them so they can stop taking advantage of other people. You know, like, I, I acknowledge that, like, obviously she's had some issues in her life. She's done some stuff like that. She had some, you know, I totally buy that she was, uh, you know, addicted and did this kind of stuff and did films she didn't want to do. Um, you know, but like, you know, allegedly ODing again, like I'm not denying that this woman had a hard life, uh, but certainly her timeline looks very suspect, very suspect. Um, you know, addiction leads you to doing all sorts of stuff that you wouldn't have normally done, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you were quote unquote trafficked. You certainly can have, um, uh, you know, a situation where you're just making bad decisions and now you're looking back and you're trying to blame everyone else for your own bad decisions. You know, this, you know, you know, so you won't name names. Can you say it's, it's a famous person? I asked, there are many people involved in my story that are very high profile. Maybe they aren't a household name, but I think if it all comes out, people will be like, oh, wow. You go back to him and you see him after the phone call I asked. I said, I didn't physically. I just called him. So, I mean, like, again, she refu she refuses to name names. Um, she she basically tries to run cover for any connections at um, at uh, Twitter or that, you know, distance herself from Elon. I'm um, saying that she's never met with him. Um, I don't buy this that she's, like, hooking up with everybody. I mean, it's a like a meme. Like, I don't think her and Tim did anything. I don't think her and Elon did anything. Um, I, you know, it, it's interesting to me uh, how this all, this is certainly a puff piece. The comments are, you know, the, the comments on here says, there's a long-winded fluff piece. Um, there's absolutely no substance to anything in this article except regurgitated stories. Uh, I did a quick search for Venti, Brittany, Jeremy, Corden. None of them showed up. But that could be in part two. The article is mostly pointless. It's also a pointless word fluff count to relate two non-relatable stories and proceeds to droll on with a softball-laden conversation uh, that gives Eliza all the elbow room in the world to BS more without any evidence. Yeah, this, not what, you know, either everything she said is true or part two is going to be absolute an absolute bombshell. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Let me know what you think in the comment section down below. Um, if you haven't yet, please do uh, subscribe. Wherever you're watching my content, look, I can tell you, if you made it this far in this video and you still aren't subscribed, um, you know, look, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Um, you know, and I the one thing that I try to do is own them. Um, certainly, if I'm wrong about all this stuff and Eliza's 100% right and hasn't lied about a thing, I would be shocked given how all of her, none of her timelines line up. But um, I appreciate all of your support and hope that you'll share this video. This uh, article is not good. Hysteria around Hogwarts legacy is reaching new heights as reviews, official reviews are out and the scores are exceedingly good, except for a few news outlets i mean political hackery you know pretending to be news outlets uh didn't get review copies and they're very mad about that and you just wonder why because well warner brothers knew they were just going to trash the game anyway 
In fact, the overwhelming majority of reviews still include a paragraph or two disavowing J.K. Rowling, absolutely nothing to do with the game review at all, and almost certainly proof that they are artificially dragging down their scores. On top of that, a brand new website that is creating lists, essentially a passive threat, uh, perhaps a doxing website. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do, but if you play the game, they're creating a list with your name. Absolute insanity. Uh, let's, let's start out with some of the more hilarious cope. Why I'm reviewing Hogwarts Legacy. It's our world, not hers. It actually is hers. Every time you enter it, you pay her money. Five days ago, review code for Hogwarts Legacy landed in my inbox. I've been thinking about this moment for more than a year. Ever since the backlash against the game started gaining traction online, the author of the Harry Potter novels is a transphobic, and she's targeted trans women in particular. Uh, that's incorrect. You know, uh, it's just, it's, it's funny to me, um just how the world that these these like lunatics live in completely is devoid from facts anyway i digress on the flip side the potential players point out the author wasn't involved in the creation of the legacy and her status as the world's richest author won't change regardless of the game's success also they really want to play it i fall in the second category i'm currently 15 hours in and i'm just barely scratching the surface i'm having an incredible time it feels like an RPG that Harry Potter fans have been waiting for, rich and alive and absolutely packed with magic. It's slightly frightening to write that down, knowing the condemnation I could receive. Oh, yeah, don't put yourself up on the cross there, anonymous games journalist from Engadget. This on top of, like, look at Newsweek even ran. The Hogwarts Legacy boycott failed. Days before the official release, the verdict is in. Efforts to rally a boycott about the much-talked-about video game in association with its embattled author, J.K. Rowling, have failed. As far back as 2020, a number of fans have debated whether Rowling's attachment to the game would have been problematic. But with the game set to release this week, Forbes has reported that Hogwarts Legacy is already proven to be hit, becoming the top-earning game on Steam, the best-selling game on the Epic Store, the deluxe and regular editions holding the top two spots on Amazon, and the best-selling game on PS5. And the game's not even out yet. Amazon is also reporting a robust business on the Xbox Series X with the game's two deluxe editions and regular editions holding the top three spots in the games. Now, again, look, there's no other huge game release coming up this week you know, other than the Dead Space remake. So, I mean, you know, your mileage may vary on what you think of that, but, I mean, clearly people are buying the game and lots of them. It's not for effort. Twitch streamer Will Overgaard is known as the Viking Blonde. Last month shared a viral video on social media where he urged his followers not to play by, by the game. Please do not support Hogwarts Legacy game. I mean, like, I don't know if I'd call that viral. It has 5,000 likes. Big whoop. Um, you know, again, that's all a cope. They all want to play the game. Imagine being this way. You know, like, look, there are, like, some of my all-time favorite bands have come out with some hot political takes that I strongly disagree with, but I'm not going to not enjoy their records. I mean... Then who's really winning? You know, like, well, maybe I, you know, borrow it from a friend or I stream it or, you know, some, something along those lines. But, you know, I just don't understand how, like, depriving yourself of stuff is, is really sticking it to them. Hogwarts Legacy review scores, IGN 9 out of 10, VGC 4, Metro 8, 
Screen Rant 4.5, Xbox Air 9, Game Rant 4.5, P- PlayStation Universe 9.5 out of 10. I mean, Power Up 9 out of 10, Press Start 9 out of 10. These review scores are extremely high and, you know, obviously factor in that they're probably artificially dragging down these scores uh, in order to score some woke points. This leads to places like Kotaku. Kotaku writers confirmed that Warner Brothers chose not to give them an early review copy. Well, I wonder why that could be. Could it possibly be because Kotaku has been writing endless articles about how the game is evil incarnate and that um, they're, you know, that they aren't going to play it and that they shouldn't have people play it? Kotaku is used to be a video game website, and that was even a long time ago. Now it's just out and out straight political type website. Uh, other journalists are very unhappy about the overwhelming positive reviews and the lack of spending a good deal of these reviews talking about J.K. Rowling's harmful views. You see, CCJ, I'm excited to find out the review editors at which pubs were willing to take the Faustian bargain instead of doing right by their readers. Again, she is a staff writer. They, them, of course. Hogwarts Legacy does not deserve to be reviewed on its own merits. This is a position to take. Here's another uh, journalist for VG247. Every single critic that couldn't even write a paragraph on dealing with this bigot's disgusting views on trans community have failed at whether they're supposed to do an intrinsic level and should quit writing. Again, this is all of this, just so, you know, just so we're all clear here, right? All of this hate that J.K. Rowling is getting is because she believes that women, biological women and biological men are different. She has never said like so-and-sos are subhuman or I don't think these people are, you know, I've never seen anything like that. She's had the completely milk toast take of like, hey, biological men shouldn't compete against biological women in feats of strength like swimming or skateboarding or things of that nature. Here's Patrick Kleepak at Waypoint, formerly at Kotaku, I believe, um, watching game journalist outlets jump through rhetorical hoops to justify coverage on Hogwarts legacy isn't surprising. It'd be more honest if they played it straight through and just said, our shaky business model doesn't allow us to ignore any game that might sell 10 million copies. The, this, you know, brought to you by the very same people who have been, uh, who were overscoring games like The Last of Us 2 because of its rep- more representation. These are the same people that have been doing this since Jump Street. And then you have, and by the way, shout out to Legacy Kill HD for, you know, putting these things together. Um, and then further down, French game outlet Game Cult is refusing to review, give coverage of Hogwarts Legacy because of rolling. What's interesting to me, well, what's really hilarious to me is that like you have these people that are like, we're not going to review it. And then for the next two weeks, they're going to be sitting there with nothing to talk about. Are they going to say, Oh, Hogwarts Legacy only sold 12 million copies. Eh, 12 million bigots exist. Big surprise. That sort of coverage, is that what they're going to do? I mean, they have the gamers writers are pissed at IGN and other outlets for putting warning labels about rolling for not for only putting warning labels. Warning labels about the author of a book about wizards. This another uh, author at like Tech Raptor, putting a statement in your Hogwarts legacy coverage about JKR can be a bit mean because you're a diehard activist that would have thrown the first brick at a stone wall 
or is a, is a bit mean because I mean like they're salty. We refuse to give an echo to the brand who's economic and media. They're doing the same thing, by the way. They're still advertising the game. They're still covering the game. Like, this is a spectacular self-own. It's only making me more excited for the game, to be honest with you. Like, I'm not a big, you know, pre-order the game to own the libs guy, but I'm excited I did pre-order it. I'm excited to play it. I was going to avoid the review drama, but for iGen's review... Uh, to state as critics, our job is to answer the questions of whether or not we find a game to be fun to play or why it's a d dismal misunderstanding of what a critique is. Whatever score is given, whatever people think. What? How about, I'm in no way surprised by the positive reviews to Wizard Game from many outlets who have reviews up today. There's a lack of responsibility in reviews to games to acknowledge the harm that comes with supporting it. Again, these are the same people who will artificially inflate scores for games that are inherently pushing the same politics they agree with. This is a massive cope. This is them admitting that they're really not journalists, that they're really that they, the game journalists. They are political hacks who spend all day on Twitter screeching. They probably still dream about Trump. They think about Trump every day. They refer to things like Trumpism and and they're, they're white, and they say white people are bad, and all this kind of stuff. And here's a coup de grace, again, put together by Legacy Killer HD. You should definitely subscribe to him on YouTube. Um, most of you probably are. He's not exactly a small channel. But someone made a website to see if your favorite Twitch streamer has streamed Hogwarts Legacy. I guess the goal is to boycott said streamer if they do play the game. This is getting ridiculous. Well, here you have... Have they streamed that wizardgame.com? Put in a streamer and then connect to the Twitch API. Like, is this supposed to be some sort of like, you know, you know who else made lists? I guarantee you I'm already pre-blocked by this person. But let's just see. I am Sam Gibbs. I mean, this is like, you know, this is the, the most hilarious. Oh, look at you, Sam. You didn't block me already. Like, here you have... Yeah, they're getting you know brutally ratioed, of course. Priorities, this must be the way for this. Wait, there must be a way for this to victimize me. I understand you personally don't want to support it. That's your decision. It's fine. But I believe, but if you believe you need to excise anyone who plays it from your life, you need to take a step back and reevaluate. Uh, here's 6,000 likes. Are we really doing this? You people need lives. I mean, there's a whole website dedicated to finding out if a streamer played the Harry Potter game. Now, what are they going to do with that data? Probably uh, name and shame them and, uh, you know, use this list to, to, to organize boycotts and try to harm them financially. I think, of course, I had other people buying the game in the comments. I love it. But, like, what is this data going to be used for, right? It's like jackbooting. They're going to say, oh, well, now let's get after all these people's sponsors. Let's get them canceled. Let's get them demonetized. Let's get them struck. That's what this list is going to be used for. Make no mistake about it. I want to talk a little bit, you know, as things have transpired over the weekend, you know, obviously a lot of people may be thirsting for more like Timmy versus the quartering drama. Uh, you know, I said my piece there. I said on Twitter, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I said like, hey, you know, I said my bit about Tim. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not really interested in going to, to battle with him. What I'm concerned about 
is the uh, you know interference in my my use of Twitter by uh, someone who thinks they're above the law and who has a life who's lived a life of zero consequence for their lies and 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 their actions. Um, so you know I'm not no more no Timmy Pool drama uh, uh, and also like you know uh, I appreciate everyone though greatly. Just you know don't super chat people who don't want to cover what you want to cover. Yeah. You know? Anyway, um, lots of new interesting stuff coming out, including really, really anything that makes Eliza look bad, getting flagged down. And some wild theories about deep connections with the FBI, which I, I don't believe. Uh, I think there's just, there's a lot simpler answer here. It's Occam's razor. Uh, it, it's just some, somebody who doesn't have any consequences in their life and they're deciding to uh, go around and you know screw with other people's lives. I want to start first and foremost with a brand new flag down, flag, 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 flag down. Dang it, all you people on my live stream. I'm from Wisconsin, all right? Wisconsin, snack shack. All right, so I tweeted this out on February 4th. I believe it was Saturday or late Friday night. Um, yeah, 1 a.m. late Friday night. Uh, simply saying, hi, Eliza. And... Uh, because again, if I could get my 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 brothers and sisters in arms, please, when you find something, archive it first before you expose it to the world. All right. So of course, I archived it immediately uh, because now when you click the link, uh oh, their entire account is now temporarily unavailable because it violates Twitter media policy. Well, it was fine yesterday. And a lot of a lot of uh, people in here. Oh no! Example two two hundred seventy five thousand five hundred eighty four of Eliza Blue being trafficked. Her team is striking everything down. It's going to be very busy. Incoming ban at three two one. Daddy Elon, no. Um, again, how is she getting all these accounts banned? Here's what I think. I think that yes, she does have accounts inside of Twitter. But I, or like connection side of Twitter, in particular, Ella G. Irwin. But she also understands how Twitter takes certain claims and the type of words and, 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 uh, and uh, the type of kind of trigger words you can put out there to solicit a reaction from Twitter. So this account, I brought, I, when I retweeted it on Friday, was totally fine. It's an old tweet from 2015. Now the account has been taken down because it was violated Twitter's media policy. But thankfully, your boy is not was not born yesterday and has it archived. So in the archive, we have da 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 vote us best modeling website. And then it's her picture, right? And what's interesting, she might say, well, I took, I didn't, I, those pictures were used against my will, right? My, those pictures were used against my will. However, here's yet another hidden, uh, I suspect this account, if, it's like every time I report on something, I have to archive everything first because by the time you see it, she's already taken it down. But here's another, yet another Eliza Instagram account that also includes videos of her begging people to go vote for her in the G-Girls contest. So she knew she was in this, you know, she took this photo willingly. 
She tried to uh, mobilize her followers to go vote for her. And now she took that account down. So you might say, how does, how does she get the world star account down? How'd she get the world star video down? Well, here's what I think. I know there's all sorts of grand conspiracy theories, but I've been thinking deeply. I've been talking to people. I've been percolating on these ideas. And I just keep regressing back to the mean, kind of saying, no, yes, I believe she has connections out of Twitter, but I also believe that she has literally nothing going on in her life and is watching all of these videos and flagging the stuff down manually. I just really, I mean, she may have a few simps in like a discord or something that are helping her, but you would be shocked how many conservative people have dirt on this woman and have, have literally told me I'm afraid to go public because she'll sue me. Why? Why are you afraid of this woman? She has, by her own admission, no money, no resources, no job. She lives at home. All right. What are you afraid of? I'm not afraid. I, I'm, t I'm saying like, People legitimately are like, oh my God, she's going to sue me. What? When has she ever litigated successfully against somebody? Has she proved to be litigious? I don't understand this specter of like fear on this. Just, a, just an e-girl. Just a thought, boys. What are you worried about? We're allowed to report on, we're allowed to report on the facts. I mean, if the freaking Daily Beast is reporting on it, why can't other, you know, unnamed commentary, commentary people report on it? What are they so afraid of? I think that the reality is none of these videos that she did privacy complaints on will be taken down. That is my prediction. As long as people reply to the email, okay, they will not, YouTube will not take them down and should not take them down. I believe that she got that old, that other, that, that wish video, WSHH, which is World Star Hip Hop, that one, I think she got that down because she submitted the very same privacy complaint and after a week of not responding, it, it just defaults to judgment in her, fa in her favor. That's what I believe. Now, in terms of it coming down from the World Star Hip Hop website, that's a little more odd. You know, certainly she submitted some sort of claim. But what's interesting in all of this is like, at no point. So now we know that like, okay, it's probably not just that video because there's all sorts of attempts to hide that one particular video. But I'm wondering what other privacy complaints were issued that were just simply responded to by the creators of that channel. Like that, that YouTube channel was like 10 years old and they haven't uploaded in a long time, if I remember correctly. They probably never even saw the email. Uh, but this one, of course, you know, temporary unavailable issues of Violet's media policy. I mean, is it possible? Now I am seeing a in, in, an increase in um, simps for her in my Twitter feed today saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there's this theory going around, by the way, that from a friend that she has deep ties in the FBI. I don't believe that. I believe she may know somebody in there because she's involved in the trafficking stuff. But I don't think anyone's losing their career over this woman, except for maybe one guy. But like, they're blowing up their credibility, at least. The, this is like, you know, I don't, I just don't believe that. I, I mean, it, it, this is someone who has nothing, who lives at home, 
And people are treating her like she's some supervillain because they're so afraid because reasons, because other conservatives, pundits are saying, I'm afraid to talk out because she might sue me for what? All this stuff is public. All right. Look at what now she's down 15,000 followers on Twitter, but watch, here's my prediction. By the end of this week, she will have at least one positive growth day. She deleted all these tweets. I have not found any particular tweet. Like if I put a bounty out there, what? Like how about 25 bucks for the first person to email the quartering at gmail.com an example, like an archive of the original and a screenshot of the deleted tweet. Because most of the most, like a lot of the big whoppers, the Humanity House tweets, those are still live. So I'm not sure what got deleted, but a lot during this week, right? I can't find out what got, I don't know what got deleted, but it's 25, 26 minimum. Because remember, these tweets are a net number. So I'm curious what she's deleting. There's no, I have not found a great way to actually track that without doing it manually. And I just don't have the time. I don't have an I team, an investigative team. But I would pay for that if you're the first person to get it to me. You know, I, I just, I'm curious what's getting deleted. Because I think that is more important than what's getting tweeted, which is now, she has now addressed her uh, podcast where she talks about a utopia being like, uh, you know, where the community gets together and decides whether or not the kid is in a position to hook up with an adult. Okay. So she has now provided some additional context around that saying, I went on the show to advocate for survivors. I was speaking in the clip about a hypothetical anarchist society with no government and no laws stated it clearly. I believe in the current laws around these issues abide by the current laws. Well, she was not saying, you know, she said, this is my utopia. That's the word she used, right? I was clear about all that. The full podcast is available to watch. A clip is available to watch. I understand that it might be difficult for folks to try to understand a conversation about a hypothetical world with no government and how to tackle terrible crimes. Yeah, fine. Okay, fine. Um, she, you know, she's still getting totally buried in the replies. And again, you see here yesterday, again, in a way like taking credit. Twitter officials report in January, 404,000 accounts. Twitter cracking down on, you know, CSC stuff. People, you know, replying. Basically saying, <laughs> you know, just dunking. You know, again... Here's the, another big whopper, okay? I tracked the CSE problem on Twitter for years. In my wildest dream, I thought, I, I, I thought that they could have maybe consistently removed 57,000 profiles a month. Where'd that number come from? Twitter removing 404,000 profiles in January is a miracle. This is like saying... It's just like saying, I watched, you know, I watched the NBA all season long, and therefore whatever happens in the NBA has something to do with me. I think this is good. I think this is good that they did this. But again, this whole I tracked it on Twitter for years, so you you're not tracking it anymore. And also, 404,000 accounts, that's just that's a whole nother black pill that I wasn't ready for today. 
there's a new show, <clears throat> I guess, uh, on Disney Plus called The Proud Family. Louder and prouder. Well, <clears throat> I think we can all assume we know where this is going, but let's take the trip together. Let's take the journey together anyway, because we can say it together, Lord help me, at least it's not another video about Eliza Blue. So, this show, all the red flags, right? The proud family, 100% Rotten Tomatoes score with only six reviews. This is usually something that happens when a show is very bad, but also very woke because critics won't say a woke show is bad. They just very rarely do. I'm not saying it never happens. It's just very rare. And the fans have given it a 48%. Now, albeit this is all before I think most people have seen the show. But you see... Great series, so animated. Animated stories, you know, all ages, funny, most original cartoon series on Disney+. And then you see, this revival turns out to be a grave disappointment. At the cost of trying to appease, quote, all members of the audience, it wound up damaging the legacy left behind by the original Proud Family. I'd rather watch the original. Louder and Prouder turns out to be unnecessary reboot for the original. You know, there, there's a lot of people who actually didn't love it, but... Now we have The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. Okay, this looks like a reboot, uh, rated PG. A continuation of the acclaimed series The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder follows the adventures and misadventures of a newly 14-year-old Penny Proud and her proud family as they navigate modern life with hilarity and heart. The 2020s bring new career highs for mom, obviously, Trudy, wilder dreams for dad, Oscar, and new challenges for Penny. Including, including a socially woke neighbor who thinks she has a lot to teach her. That's right. Disney's just saying, that's built in now. But like, this person, this is like a white person. I don't know if they're white or not, but they probably are. Who thinks they're woke. But that's like part of the, that's like part of the story. Maybe that was a part of the original story. It's, I can't say for sure. Bullying social media influencers who want to cancel her and her own teenage hormones. Penny's friends return, uh, including a bunch of other people. Well, good for you, Penny. Now, there was a clip flying around the internet. Five, six million views. Uh, this is a scene from Disney Plus Kids cartoon called The Proud Family. Um, this by End Wokeness. Some of the, you know, stuff... Uh, you know, uh, in here, like kind of the woke crowd absolutely loves it. I'm not exactly sure who this is aimed for. It's like PG. So, you know, kids with their parents, I suppose. Let's see if I can, if I can play any of this, I will. This country was built on. Okay. I'm not going to actually put, I'll, 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 uh, I'll say, so it's, it's her like doing some sort of bespoke or like, uh, I don't know, uh, what, what a poetry slam or something. So it says, this country was built on slavery, which means slaves built this country. Um, no, slaves probably built just about every country, but also slavery was not prominent in all areas of this country either, was it? But that's neither here nor there. I'm not denying it existed, and I'm not denying that it was terrible. Did you also know there are more slaves today than there ever were before? Hmm. Not that that makes it okay, but just saying that it's been an ongoing problem that is not exclusive to the United States. Tilled the land from sea to sea. First there was rice, tobacco, sugar cane. Uh, then 
Whitney did his cotton, did his thang, and cotton became Kang. <laughs> the cotton gin. And we were its soldiers, four million strong. Well, you were a tiny minority of the soldier group. Uh, yes, you did fight. Uh, and you were just as valiant as any other color skin of anyone else who fought for their country, right? Um, and I appreciate your mo and your current service to this. You know, again, it has nothing to do with your color. That at that time, it probably had more to do with it because they probably didn't have a choice. But then you have okay, four million fighting for America's freedoms, even though we remained America's slaves. That's saying that you only fought for the South. Is that what's that saying? I don't know. Built this country. The descendants of slaves continue to build it. But um, slaves built this country. Again, this is a kid's show. And, and have earned reparations. They need reparations. They're demanding reparations on a kid's television show. Uh, it says, and we continue to earn reparations every moment. We spend submerged in a systemic prejudice, racism, and white supremacy. Again, kids' show on Disney+. Plus. That America was founded with and still has not atoned for. Slaves built this country not only in the fields, but carpenters and masons, blacksmiths and musicians. Well, then you weren't a slave then, were you? Inventors built cities from Jamestown to New Orleans. Uh, sure, okay, 40 acres and a mule. We'll take the 40 acres. We made your families rich. Um, you know, hey, some of this stuff is true and, you know, obviously not good, but it's very difficult to move forward when you're constantly looking back all the time. I'm not saying that there isn't value in examining your history, understanding where you went wrong. So you're not doomed to repeat those same mistakes, but I mean, it's 2023. I just don't know what this message message tells when you can look everywhere and see black people succeeding. Um, you know, the top streamer on Twitch, you know, athletes, musicians, all across the board, even in corporate America, too. Um, we just saw that that guy that worked for um, Pfizer go get really famous, right? Um, so, you know, I think uh, this is just not a great message to tell little kids. It's It's like the same thing. It's like saying, well, the country is so bad and it's always going to be bad and you're not going to succeed. And this and it's going to be everybody else's fault. There's literally nothing you can do. Going against uh, Lincoln, saying he didn't free the slaves. Emancipation is not freedom. Jim Crow, yes, yes, all this stuff. And then they're talking about Juneteenth. I don't even know anybody who celebrates Juneteenth. Uh, it seems like a meme. And we demand our 40 acres and a mule. Bump that, whatever that means. You can keep the mule, keep the 40. What, uh... And then everybody goes wild. They even stole this, by the way. They stole this from the meme. You know that animated GIF that everyone sees? They literally stole that from that. Um, and they all celebrate it. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think that, of course, this is just simple propaganda. Uh, the idea that if you look at what's going on in, in California, right? Like, aren't they, t every time I see like a new um, town council meeting, 
some black person who's who wasn't a slave, whose parents weren't a, wasn't a slave, whose parents' parents probably weren't a slave, or his parents' parents' parents weren't a slave, want five hundred thousand dollars from for nothing. Um, you know, I, I don't really understand this. Obviously, you know, a lot of leftists are saying, you know, like, oh, was there anything said here untrue? Um, yeah, it was certainly very politicized. And also, uh, there were things in there that are true. Absolutely. Um, is this what we want to have on a kid's show? You see James Rhodes. Wow, such a relatively small handful of my people built this great country of America. Africa must be... Wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Uh, yeah, I mean... You see a lot of people, if slaves built the United States, why isn't Africa rivaling the U.S. as a world superpower? The Congo kings were some of the richest people during the colonial era. Where are they now? I mean, like, it's it's not a great reaction. But again, like, look, it's garbage for garbage sake. It's, it's you know, some intern or whatever. They have their, like, Disney's fallen off the rails. You know, how is this going to do, how is this going to teach anyone anything but pure hate? Um, yeah, I, I just think like, it's, it's interesting. I think you could discuss these type of things. I also don't think that like a kid's cartoon is perhaps the, the vehicle for that. It seems like a more, you know, a more, uh, serious conversation, but this is just more of like, uh, Disney being more worried. Oh, so it's on Disney plus. Yeah. I mean, go watch it if you want. Um, I'm not offended by it. I, I think that uh, it's interesting. You can keep the mule, keep the 40. Okay, settled, right? No reparations then. Is that, you know? So it's interesting to me that everyone's really putting this out. This on top of where we had like the Grammys with all the like satanic messaging and all this weird stuff. And, you know, it's just like, I think more and more people are just going to either watch, you know, I think like a lot of people could grow up watching the Andy Griffith show and, and, and like old Looney Tunes cartoons and be totally fine. Um, without paying for to paying somebody to then try to indoctrinate your children when you're not when you walk away, just another L for Disney, I suppose. Netflix last week on Friday allegedly accidentally rolled out their new uh, password sharing policies here in the United States and received immense immediate backlash now it's my opinion that they leaked it on purpose to try and figure out what you know what kind of reaction they were going to have and boy howdy it was not good many members of the military reached out to me too saying that hey by the way this screws us over because you know if we're deployed or we're away from home we share an account now we have to pay for a second account there's a whole bunch of people here in the united states that are getting screwed over by netflix's new password sharing policy I want to point out though that like if it's your you know if it's your prerogative to consume Netflix's content then I think you know you should pay for it. Um do I care if a dad sh you know shares his account with his son who doesn't live at home anymore? No, that's a little different. Um I think that that's fine. Um I I think uh you know military they shouldn't have to pay for two separate accounts because the rule they had force you to basically check in at your home IP once every 30 days. Well, if you're deployed, you can't let your family back at home share an account with you. Like that's absurd. Um, Netflix has retracted now 
Well, first, let me go to the hilarious accident first. Netflix has mistakenly launched a set of guidelines for cracking down password sharing on global users. The streaming service said that the guidelines being trialed in Chile, Peru, and Costa Rica had been posted accidentally across its help center pages, including the United States on Wednesday, but has since been taken down. Quote, for a brief time yesterday, the help center article containing information that is only applicable to Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru went live with other countries. We've since updated it. Since last year, Netflix has been trialing paid sharing in these three countries where an account holder pays extra for an extra person located inside the account holder's home to access the server. In Costa Rica, the fee is $3 a month. To ensure that Netflix account is not being shared outside the household where it is registered, a trial requires users to connect their viewing device, such as a TV, mobile, phone, or tablet, to the Wi-Fi of their home, open the Netflix app, and watch something on the streaming service at least once every 31 days. Again, like there's a whole, not, I mean, people who travel for business are gone for longer than 30 days at times. People that are in the armed services, which is a lot of people, you know, are away for a long time. I mean, there, there is many, many, many problems with this. These are problems that wouldn't have existed maybe in, in, no, I would assume they have their own armies too, right? I mean, anyway, here in the United States, obviously that's a lot of people. Although Netflix has yet to unveil its plan to tackle account sharing worldwide, the trial is its closest indication to which what a global approach might look like. They, of course, have 230 million subscribers worldwide. Said last month that the account sharing undermines our long-term ability. Look, if you got one person sharing their account with 15 other people, you know, fair play. You know, fine. I, I think that, you know, come on. You know, I'm not saying you're a bad person for doing it. But I'm not saying that somebody like who's selling a product might not, you know, be okay with that. Because that obviously, you know, is not really the intended. It's not like unlimited user for $15 a month or whatever. Most people I know in the comment section will tell me that they don't care because Netflix produces garbage anyway, which is basically true. They cancel anything good and they, uh, and they renew anything bad as long as it gets the woke points that it needs. But after this, they, you know, the, the, They've already had to change. So Netflix has retracted password sharing restrictions that were apparently posted on error in its plat on its platform. Earlier this week, the stream had updated its rules for sharing passwords on its help center page. It noted that Netflix account is for people who live in a single household together. Netflix further specified that people who do not live in your household will need to use their own account to watch Netflix. Now there's a zillion ways around this, right? You could... Uh, open a tunnel to your home network, connect remotely. This is These are like mildly technical. You know, it's not something your boomer aunt or mom is probably going to be able to do, but I mean, there are ways around this, obviously. Um, then it says, of course, on Thursday, they responded to the situation, so the information was shared accidentally. For a brief time, we've since updated it. Well, you know, I'm not sure. For people who have, quote, uninterrupted access, to, for people to have uninterrupted access to Netflix, the help document explained that it would have to connect and keep watching every 31 days. If they don't, you will be asked to enter a temporary code in order to log in. However, the stream acknowledges that if people are traveling or living between different homes, that they will still be able to use and watch things on Netflix. Quote, both the primary account holder and people who live in the same household shouldn't need to verify devices while watching despite where they are. But how could they do that? 
you could see this. Oh, please. The update was met with serious backlash for the number of subscribers starting to cancel their subscriptions. I mean, like, look how angry this was. You're not deadbeats getting a paid service for free. Threatening to quit is not a major threat. I mean, I guess that's kind of true. I guess that's kind of true. Look, I think that, you know, I'm not going to go to bat for the, you know, I think if you want to share your accounts with your friends and family and you all share a Netflix account or whatever, like, I'm not judging you for that. But again, with, with Netflix, I totally understand that it's like you didn't pay for one account to get 15 of your friends, you know, but the idea, what's interesting is, again, for people who have uninterrupted access to Netflix, explain that people would have to keep watching something from their home every 31 days. If they don't, they'll be asked to ask a temporary cord to log in. However, the streamer acknowledges that if people are traveling or living between different homes, they will be able to watch things on Netflix. Both the primary account holder and the people who live in the household shouldn't need to verify devices while watching, despite where they are. But that's not what you said. Of course, the Netflix stock, uh, you know, uh, going down. Like, you know, it could be unrelated. The markets themselves today are not awesome. They're, most of the big stocks are down. But like, you wonder if people are finally just going to have enough of the Netflix stuff. You know, I, I think that there's just not that much good stuff on Netflix anymore. Like there is a while there where you could say, all right, you know, it's got this show, that show, or maybe this one, um, and I'll watch them. But now there's like nothing. There's like, there's like two or three shows, maybe. Why are you paying $20 a month for that? Just pay it for one month and watch all three and binge it all. If you got to pay for Netflix, I would say that's like the wisest thing to do is pay for one account and, and for one month and then just binge it all. The thing is, Netflix said their enforcement plans are not going to affect the U.S. for now and were posted in error, but not before the battle plan details were captured. According to the leaked page, helped relating everything to account 31 days, all along Netflix has warned it wouldn't end pastor sharing in 2023. Those, so these rules briefly posted with intent or not represent the first shot across the bow that the battle is about to begin in the United States. Netflix has already begun rating in multiple people sharing a single account in Central South American countries. Um, I, I assume, you know, I, I get it. People quickly took back the free Lotus fight back. Cook took the internet to post strategies for password crackdown workaround, include sharing a free phone number, which forwards a verification text to everyone on the account at once. Another suggested using a VPN to mask the ability to determine the location of each login. That doesn't actually work as far as I can tell. Um, like with Hulu, when I'm trying to watch live TV, if I'm connected to my VPN, it, it wigs out and it doesn't, it doesn't let me do that. It says it won't let me watch my locals. I can still do Hulu, but it thinks I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, fool it, even though I'm not. As, quirk, as quickly as this chatter gets posted, you could bet Netflix engineers will be tasked with working on plans to combat the loss, which is probably part of, you know, in my opinion, is probably what this was all about. They post it, you know, and they can figure out how everyone's going to work around it so then they can combat it ahead of time. I think that this was a honeypot that people fell, in, fell into. And right now, Netflix plan on doing it in six months or whatever the case is at the end of this year. And they need to know how people are going to work around it. And so... Everyone told them how they were going to do it. I, I just, you know, this is a weird issue for me because, like, I don't, I, you know, I hate Netflix. If if, it's your, if you're just like a true freeloader, whatever, you know, pay for what you consume. But 
as the plan stands right now, it would totally hose over our military and people who are traveling and create a you know huge issue uh, for that. So uh, we'll have to see how this rolls out in a, in a, in in the in the West because uh, you know people are uh, a little different here. It's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks. You know, it went from like, you know, this kind of general feeling from the community that Elon Musk was a fighter for free speech and had, you know, excised a lot of the tumors that were inside of Twitter to more questions about that, especially circling around his VP of trust and safety, Ella G. Irwin, who really isn't liked by quote unquote either side. The left went after her for, you know, being too loyal to Elon Musk. And now people in the kind of free speech middle realm are curious why she's running interference for one said blue haired grifter. But in the middle, in the mess of all of this, after just what, three months or so of ownership, uh, Elon Musk has taken a company that was losing a million dollars a day or something like that. And has it breaking, have, has it trending towards breaking even and like haters and ex-employees are absolutely pissed. Elon Musk says he saved Twitter from bankruptcy after an extremely tough three months. You know what's interesting is a lot of, you know, for all these like wild cuts and stuff like that um, at Twitter, it has had its problems. You know, I can't say I remember like if it's better or worse in terms of how it was running pre-Musk, post-Musk. Certainly you could probably say it's been a bit of a bumpy road. But it's not like the site's gone down for a week or even half an hour at any point. Most of everything gets fixed pretty quickly. It's, it's interesting to see the two sides of this. Elon Musk said the last three months were extremely tough as he scrambled to save Twitter from bankruptcy while also running his other companies. The billionaire's frank admission followed his past warnings about dire financial conditions at Twitter since he purchased a struggling social media platform for $44 billion last October. Wouldn't wish that pain on anyone, Musk tweeted Sunday regarding the difficult stretch. Twitter still has challenges, but is now trending to break even if we keep at it. Public support is much appreciated. That's actually a, like, it's kind of this casual thing to mention, but it's a huge feat in just a few months. In, in 90 days, this guy has taken, you know, a company that, like, um, you know, uh, that was losing millions, hundreds of millions a year to uh, now at least trying to break even, which would be, you know, and he just signed a huge deal for the Super Bowls, the advertisers, bringing advertisers back, which they should be. Musk tempered his optimistic for forecast and optimist and a separate tweet, noting that Twitter is still definitely not financially healthy, but is trending to be so in the future. Lots of work still needs to be done there. Twitter's daily revenue plunged 40% last month compared to January of the previous year, but many of the company's top or many of the company's top advertisers stopped or pulled back on spending, according to tech news site The Platformer. There have been estimates that Twitter's ad revenue declined as much as 70% last December year over year. In a meeting last November, Musk warned Twitter staffers that the company could declare bankruptcy if it could not fix the revenue shortfall. The same month, Musk said Twitter was losing oh, $4 million a day. Sorry after an exodus of major advertisers caused a massive drop in revenue. Twitter has since rolled out a revamped version of its blue subscription service, which users can pay $8 a month for an account verification and other perks in a bid to boost revenue. 
Musk has also ordered sharp cost-cutting measures at Twitter in a push that included rounds of layoffs and reduction in everything from office perks to janitorial services at the company's San Francisco headquarters. Twitter's remaining employees were required to opt into hardcore work environment or leave the company. Musk has confirmed the search for a successor as Twitter CEO is already underway, though he hasn't provided an exact timeline for when he'll step aside. I assume once he gets it, you know, profitable. You know, that's at least how I would look at it. Like, I can't hand this off anybody to anybody until this is like a stable company, which could be another year or two. It really could. And of course, it, you know, I, I thought it was funny how everyone was like, well, my Tesla, my Tesla stock, right? Look at, look at, look at what's happened to Tesla stock in the last, whoops, not Tasmanian. In the last month, it's nearly doubled. In the last 30 days, remember all these Tesla people are whining and whining and whining about their stock? It's up 72% in the last 30 days. Okay. Now, still way down from peaks, but like still, it's trending massively up. And like the, the thing is, like, they're pushing, they're going to release a Cybertruck probably earlier than people think. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me just how emotionally driven a lot of investments are. But, you know, he said that running Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX has been extremely tough and that he's worried about his own health too. I imagine working like 23 hours a day is probably not good. Um, and, but that's what it takes, you know, that's what it takes to fix these things. And a lot of shrewd business decisions, right? Like Twitter will now let businesses keep their gold check marks, but it's going to cost them $1,000 a month. Twitter could also charge to add badges to every account affiliated with the brand as part of its latest money-making scheme. Well, I think what you're seeing here is Elon saying, look, all these brands are using Twitter for free to advertise their product. If they choose to stay verified as a brand or whatever the case is, it's going to cost them some money. Now, it seems like, man, how many brands are going to pay for this? They're going to, there's going to be a huge, like, we're never going to pay for this. But then if you think about it, are there, are there a, you know, let's look at just, for example, the Fortune 500, you know, 500 companies that are all super huge and massive. Do you think they could pay 12 grand a year? Yep. Okay. So that's 500 people paying a thousand dollars a month. That's half a million dollars a month in revenue immediately, right? That's a big deal. And that's for 500. What about the lunatics like me that might say, hmm, that's a write off, might be interesting. You know, there's all sorts of people. Who would probably pay for that of course there's tons of people that would be like no way i'm never paying for that um but you see here twitter is reportedly emailing businesses offering them a gold checkmark verification for a thousand dollars a month and affiliate account verification for 50 each per month none of this is required to use twitter the checkmarks aren't required to use twitter and i'm still kind of queasy about really trying to leverage this checkmark for verification, you know, even I admit like, oh, I'd be like, oh, who is this person that replied to me that has a check mark? But he also said that the old check mark verification system was deeply corrupt and that it really had to go anyway. I think that you could use anything but the blue check mark. And if you focus on offering features to people who want Twitter blue, you know, no ads or very few ads. I mean, I still see a lot of ads and I pay for Twitter blue, although I'm really considering removing it after I find out some information here, but you know, they could really leverage us and, and offer more features of Twitter blue 
And then I, I think that's what they're doing, but they're also going after big corporations that could clearly pay it. Look, if, if a thousand of them do it, right? You know, it, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, if a hundred of them even do it, that's a hundred K a month in revenue overnight. That matters. All that matters. If 200, 200 K, if three, you know, if a thousand do it, it's a million, you know? And like, it's a big, it's a big number. It's a big tax on companies that can afford to pay it. But the t former employees, all the ones that are laid off are pissed. A laid off Twitter manager said the company wanted to make people's lives better, but that went to garbage after Elon Musk take over. Well, you're not a charity. Essentially, what's going to happen is he's going to run it to break even. He's going to get it back in like a, fi a good financial position. And he's going to re I, I think he's going to do another IPO, right? And take huge investment money. I, I, would, I would imagine. He's going to roll out Twitter blue. He's going to fix the revenue problem. He's going to uh, reestablish these relationships with these advertisers, figure out what he needs to do to bring them back to the platform. Because a lot of the like, Elon Musk man bad press has died down now. You're going to see a lot of these advertisers come crawling back. The fact of the matter is it works, for, especially for branding. You can you know, sell a lot of stuff uh, through Twitter. Uh, you get a lot of eyeballs on Twitter that is just no, like nowhere else. So most of these advertisers will come back. And if they don't come back, they probably weren't making money anyway. You know, this whole narrative about advertisers fleeing the site over concerns about content moderation, I think that in another month or two, he'll be able to uh, you know, present a deck to them, a marketing deck and say like, hey, I know you say you were worried about moderation. Here's what we're doing. Here's how things were before me. Here's how things are after. If he can really prove that nothing's changed or in fact, maybe it's gotten better, you know, I think that it's going to be fine. This laid off Twitter manager told the BBC that he's worried about the company's future under the ownership of Elon Musk. Again, so many of these people raised their hands. They raised their hands high to the sky and said, I don't want to work extra hard to keep this company going. Now, I can't say if this person volunteered or not, but certainly thousands of them did and or hundreds of them did. They said, I don't want to work extra hard. Just give me my severance package. And now as, a, as the tech industry is crumbling, it'll fix itself, but it had gotten big on bloat over the last 10 years. It's always what happens. They're going to start looking at crap. Maybe I should have worked extra hard. Maybe it would have given me more opportunities because when you go for a new job and you're like, where'd you used to work? Oh, Twitter. Oh, okay. What'd you do there? Well, I, I raised my hand and said, I didn't want to work really hard to try and save the company. Can I have a $150,000 a year job, please? It's not going to really hit, is it? It's not going to hit like that. And so I think that his success in even taking it to trending towards break even in the short term, it's interesting. And then if we go back to January, laid off Twitter workers have been forced to drop their class action lawsuit demanding more severance pay. Like they're just taking L after L. Five laid off Twitter workers have been forced to drop their class action lawsuit against the company and has been ordered by a judge to file individual claims for arbitration instead because they signed that when they started working there. I suspect by the end of the year, by next Christmas, Twitter will be extraordinarily profitable. Twitter Blue will be 100 times bigger than what it is right now, especially if he's angling for creators. He's, angling, he's turning it into a platform instead of just a news app or a, you know, a garbage app. So all these people that jump ship what they're really feeling is a lot of regret and remorse and saltiness.
I hope you enjoyed this video. I think Twitter is still the freest speech of the big tech uh, places, even if I don't like some of this stuff with EB. But we'll have to wait and see. I hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you again real soon.